welcome to another exciting edition of Near Mint Comic Radio, your local comic shop shrunk down, gamma irradiated, sworn to protect a world that fears and hates it, and aired live-ish every week, only on the non-productive network, the only place that would have it. I'm your host, Frank, joined in studio by Pete, Al, and of course, our special guest, John Trumbull of Back Issue Magazine from Tomorrow's Publishing, and we are covering Crisis on Infinite Earths. Or, as Pete just said, Crisis on a Couple of Earths. <laughs> it's mostly about the two to six that uh, we see. I think it's five us. in total, isn't it? I, I think it's a little different because some of them die without actually getting a number. Yeah. You know, uh, that first Earth how is does, gone. How does math work with that, with infinity? Like, uh, <laughs> did, did, did we already eliminate infinite Earths? By when we destroy one of them? No. I don't by, know. By, 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 the fa- by virtue of the fact that. Mm. We only have like six left. You are very much tuning in for maths, I know, uh, if you're listening to this podcast. What what number do you have to subtract from infinity to get six? So we are on... Infinity <laughs> minus six. We are on three and four of the 12-issue miniseries that comprises 1985's Crisis on Infinite Earths. And uh, things have escalated, I would say. Rather quickly. Yeah. So uh, when we last left off, I, I don't even know if we want to go with a, a, a replay of everything, but the heroes have been gathered up, and we've, we've done the, the heavy lifting of saying heroes and a few villains are gathered up by the Monitor to somehow stop the end of all multiverses yes. forever. Um, yes, exactly that, that exciting beat. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and at this point, we, uh, they're, they're facing sort of like an existential crisis of, is there anything we can do to stop all this? And the answer we find in the next few issues is maybe not so much. So we're going to do issue uh, three today. Trumbull, what did you feel about about the events of issue three of the miniseries? When I first read it or on this reread? On the reread. It's it's interesting because, I mean, I know where the story is going. I'm not reading through it the first time like, like you guys are. Uh-huh. Al, are you reading this for the first time? Or no, no, I read it once before about three years ago. Okay, okay. So, oh, so relatively new, like relatively recently in your head. I mean, I mean, there's a few things that I forgot or didn't remember. Like rereading it now, it's like, oh, that happened? I don't remember <laughs> that at all, but it did. But you did originally read it as an adult. Yeah. Well I after it yeah, well, well came out. Yeah. At this point... I'm excited. I'm hopeful, maybe, of the Luther baby being important eventually. Mm-hmm. Does he have a name yet? I'm I, trying to remember. I know he's Alexander Luthor. Like that does yeah. become what his name is. I, I remember that much. I feel like he's either he may be ref- referenced as that. At, this I, I feel like he did. Yeah, I it, feel like uh, with that his father referenced him. Oh, that might him. be it. That might be where I'm I'm, I'm pulling it's it like from. Little Alexander. Oh, can I also say I love bearded Luthor in that too? Oh yes, that was great. Call back to to the, the first <laughs> first issue. So yeah, I'm hoping that you know Luthor does. I'm, basically, at this point in the book, I'm reading it and I'm like, where, what, what. What's the hope? Where's the hope here? Where is the, how are we going to survive this? So I'm reading this as a person who was not paying attention to Marv Wolfman's uh, stated purpose of the project, <laughs> where, yeah, we may not necessarily survive. I'm still hoping, like, all oh, Superman saves a day, or Batman, Superman come up with a plan, or maybe little, little Luther baby is going to do something neat. It doesn't seem so much no. like that's the case in these stories. Um, we, we're getting our first uh, delve into a few worlds that get crushed. So the very first thing we we encounter after being reintroduced to Luther Baby as a possible plot point and being reminded that Harbinger is out there uh, potentially 
uh, working against the monitor. The very first thing we experience is Flash in the future, uh, call back to Flash comics at the time, living in the future, being happy, or at least the way the Flash comics had mm-hmm. resolved at the time. Yeah. Uh, and finally deciding he's going to have to go back and warn people for reals this time. Uh, so how long has Flash, Flash been out of comics at this point? Not long. Not, Not long. long. They, they, they pretty much wrapped up his series, I think, just a little before the crisis. I'm not sure what, like how many months, but it was a matter of months. All right. Yeah. And then we, it, we he's immediately thrown into the storyline with the Titans, the Teen Titans, and the Outsiders, I believe. Yeah. yeah were outsiders. two huge comics at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about that? I think his, like, bizarre exit, like, I mean, it's like, that's still creepy even now. Like, even back when mm. I was reading it three years ago. Yeah. Like, that holds up. Still works. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Flash has been, uh, uh, I think more than Pariah, has been the character where I, it's the Spielberg thing, where right? You see a character experiencing shock, awe, hope, whatever it is, yeah. and then you know what emotion you're supposed to get out of this. Hmm. Uh, with Pariah, it's almost a joke. There's something about him. He's just so tragic. Because it's the only thing he's got. He's, right. It's yeah. the only thing yeah. he does. Well, we also already have, or, or at least most people reading this, already have an emotional attachment to The Flash and Barry Allen. Yeah. So you're carrying that with you into the story. Right. Or I think at least most people reading this would be. Yeah, absolutely. And Flash isn't the character who is going to bemoan his fate the entire time. When he is in panic mode or or dying or exhausted, we feel it. Likewise, mm-hmm. for me, yeah. Batman and Superman in this first arc, uh, when, especially Batman, I did not expect, because we have a much different version of Batman in modern comics, right? Yeah. 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 He is... Um, this, this one wore his... He, he let his emotion show a little more. Right. He's right. not yeah, the Bronze Age Batman. Not nearly as stoic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And when he's stuttering and unsure of himself and not, I mean, he has to be pulled back at one point and saved from doing something stupid. Like yeah. grab the flash and get zoinked. What we know is zoinked out by some external force. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Batman doesn't have any idea what's happening right now. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a good way of delivering the intended emotion on your kid reader at the time. Mm-hmm. Something that didn't quite work for me, though, there's a unfair judgment that comes around the Bronze Age comics. It's not given the same pass that Golden or Silver Age comics are given. Yeah, uh, and it, because there's not, it's it's riding the 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 line. This is after Watchmen. This is after The Dark Knight Returns. We should know better by now. No, it's not. Oh, it's not? Yeah, yeah those are both 1986. <laughs> oh, wow. Even, I'm just wrong. Sorry. And yeah. even right on that line where comics aren't quite sure if they're... I can't find any of the lines that I, I had highlighted out by the Great Scots, right? There's one time period where characters exclaiming Great Scott is, you know, non-ironic. And then one time period where gritty realism is the norm. And that's the Bronze Age rides that line. And I feel like you could look at this, and there's a part where a building is cl- collapsing, and someone's bemoaning their fate, like, figures now would be a time the building would collapse. The world is coming to an end. There's a big force field of negative energy destroying everything. There's a tenement building that's got full of people. Like, they're inconvenienced. Like, Teen Titans might be. They're like, <clears throat> oh, I have to go save the world? Ugh. Later on, um, someone is narrating uh, when Wonder Girl is uh, not paying enough attention around her and a building's about to collapse. And someone actually has to explain, Robin, 
explains that, oh, because of the screaming, she can't hear the building collapsing upon her. Like, what? That doesn't right. make any sense. Yeah. What in what world is people screaming, drowning out the building collapsing? A world that's about to end. I guess, but and everyone is keenly aware of that fact. Yes, and is reacting by screaming at the same time. Uh, it's it's right on the line there, right? Yeah. We've, you've got a pilot who's flying his. I'm not sure if this is in the next issue or not. I don't. That's think in no. the next issue. All right, we're, we're going to skip that. So people are are being really panicky, but they're being saved from the collapsing building with a like a crystal slide. That brings them to safety. It the story doesn't quite settle on a tone, whether this is horrifying or you know silver age-ish kind of the universe is going to end, but our heroes are going to save yeah, everyone. Never quite hits the wacky tone of the silver age, but yes, hmm. yeah, never never quite settles. I I just don't see it, but maybe it's because I grew up on reading Bronze Age comics. It doesn't read weird to me, but and I'm not quite saying that Bronze Age is weird or reads weird all the time. I think that it is trying to do, it is a bridge period where it's trying to do kind of two things at once. Some of it is incredibly goofy and some of it is uh, very serious and it mixes them together in a way where in the same book you've got Superman trying to stop uh, Starfire because they both experienced the end of the world together Mm -hmm. and you see a dissolving flash but you also, either in the immediate next book, you'll see Firestorm and his, you know, crush killer Frost <laughs> going through the motions of their tumultuous affair. And it, I get it. It's supposed to be a little levity in there, but it's, it's kind of weirdly mashed in. As a person who, like, so again, came into this as an adult, those three ages just sort of bleed together to me. So it's all the stuff in here that's kind of almost wonky or silver as you described it just came off as like a uh, camp of the time to me so i was just sort of i'm more with trumbull on this it didn't really bother me that much i was just kind of like it was whatever it was at the time and i just didn't really like i didn't really bat an eye at it yeah yeah i i, I mean if if you if you're that sensitive to goofy why are you reading a superhero comic <laughs> I, I mean that that's just how i look at it i mean i I expect superhero comics to be fun and to be imaginative and colorful and fast and exciting. And that's what I largely got out of this. So, yeah, if if I want, like, angsty meditations on the end of the world, I I wouldn't necessarily read Crisis on Infinite Earths. I don't really have a problem. I think both of you have said that, like, I I had a problem with it. Oh, okay. I feel like this is the way it reads. Like, it's I I enjoy the fact that this is... On the line there. Oh, but it okay. sounded like you were complaining about. Oh uh, no no no! I'm not complaining. You'll know when I'm complaining because <laughs> I'll be ringing this bell incessantly. No, so like, uh, I'll give you an example. If this story were a golden age story, it would have wrapped up in one issue and with a MacGuffin, right? Something goofy, some to the extreme of goof, probably. Right. Uh, and if yeah. this were a you know modern comic, it would. Uh, Probably it, it would be clear that it would be a grim meditation on the end of the world. And require a sacrifice from someone to do right. something if they didn't want to do. It's literally Watchmen a year later. Yeah. It, it, things do not end. Like the levity in those in that book is almost some of the more dark period, points in it. But this is from a particular period where both are kind of juggled in the same time. And I think it it's... It's hit or miss, I think. I think I'm not sure if it it tracks perfectly well all the time. Um, 
But one of the places where it hit, I'm going to skip a little area of Brainiac and go right into our World War II storyline. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where I was shocked at the the stakes that got delivered in that book. The characters that, first of all, holy problematic Batman. <laughs> I was wondering if you'd bring up how problematic the Phantom Tank is. I did not or realize the haunted, tank. the haunted Tank had a Confederate flag on it, on its aerial, maybe? I don't know. Uh, on it, and that the, it was a Confederate general. The who ghost was, was Jeb yeah. Stewart. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. Interesting. And it may, now was the haunted tank one of the one of the fatalities because I know we we encountered a couple of World War II comics here. Haunted Tank. We encountered uh, yeah, Sergeant Rock, Sergeant Rock and, and the, Easy Company Easy and Company. Uh, the Losers. Yes. Now, I know that the Losers bit the dust, I think, yeah. almost entirely. The Losers were a group of like four characters. They they had their own features, their own individual features. There was uh, Captain Storm, Gunner, and Sarge. They were their own thing. And then there was, uh, what was the Navajo guy's name? Uh, Johnny Cloud. And it was these features. I don't think any of them were doing particularly well. So they mashed them all together and made a group out of them. So they could all not do well together. Nice. Mm. So Smart. And call them the losers, huh? Apropos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Confederate, the ghost of a Confederate general will uh, prophesize their death. <laughs> oh, jeez. Not a very, very odd look. But despite that, despite all the weirdness of this and the fact that, like, they're definitely a product, not even of their time, they're like a product of at least 10 years before. Yeah. Um, possibly 20 years before. When were these comics really big? When were war, war comics really a big hit? I wouldn't. I couldn't imagine after the. I, 60s. I was going to say. I believe it was the fifties and sixties. Yeah. Uh, DC's war comics went well into the early eighties. Wow. I, yeah. I'm. Sh- Sergeant Rock still had a comic around this time, I believe. And it's not that I don't see value in them at all. I'm just shocked that they were put out at a period where, like, it, you were beginning to feel the crunch of things. But certainly, by the time this storyline comes along, the, the intent purpose is to clean things up. They were, I think, probably the most... They, this might be the first books that had their own lines that got killed in Crisis, right? Because we got the crime syndicate. They got the axe early yeah, on. Yeah, they never had their own book. But they never no. had their if own book. If that's what you're asking. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, so I'm thinking this might be the first... This was around the time, I believe, uh, G.I. Combat, which was one of the DC War books that ended right around this time. Mm-hmm. And that was the book, I believe, the Losers were featured in, probably the Haunted Tank as well. I think it, they had a lot of rotating features in that. Um, I, I never read too many of the War books. But Sergeant Rock still did pretty well. And I believe that was still going on at this time. I so. mean, Sergeant Rock's still doing well from memory serves. Like, he got an animated short not too long ago. I mean, he's been revived a few times. He's never had a regular book since the 80s. Oh, uh, right. right. So this is yeah, basically, so. this might be like, we're, we may just be reading the end of these, the attempt to wrap up these storylines, these not-quite-A-listers that are in the DC Universe. Um, and yeah, what did you think about this? Did you have any uh, opinion about these characters being wiped out? Unfortunately, not having any real attachment to them, it, it did, I feel like it did the job it was supposed to do in the writing, which was raising the stakes. I'm like, oh man, these guys are kicking it. And like, it was, it, I, it was really the part I liked the most about the issue, uh, oddly enough, because it felt like this was the meat of the fight and it felt like the lives that we're going to lose here, we were going to lose. Um, and I didn't feel that so much with the superheroes because I, I know Flash comes back. We we 
we have it's a, hard to read this as a kid at the time yeah mm. I, I'm, yeah. I'm well aware of who makes or, that of this well, just based on the nature of some of the th- yeah the, i mean the, uh, the barry allen flash didn't come back for a good 20 years yeah, after that so he was he was good for a he was dead for a good long time yeah um they they meant it when they killed him off. I uh, think, so I'm sorry. Spoilers. We're yeah. we're jumping ahead. Yeah. But uh, well, you could definitely see that the stakes are that he is going to be uh, he's on the line. And I think yeah. people kind of like give comics a bad rap here about like oh people die and come back immediately. I don't think that's often true. I think I'm, like, say, I'm not sure what what the uh, what the perceived stakes would be for a reader at the time. Because yeah, it wasn't it wasn't quite. Uh, like Superman had died, quote unquote, before this, but it was very much sort of like the usually in the imaginary story. What you mean? Yeah. You mean the storyline where they killed him off with Doomsday? No, no, no. no I mean, like, yeah. and like he had been he'd been killed off before Doomsday. I mean, like yeah. Superman had just died but, off, n- but certain, never in a yeah, and, and it never fashion. been in, like a huge event to kill him off. Anyway, besides just the selling. Of I mean, the, there time. had been some characters uh, that had been killed off and left dead. I mean. Uh, Probably the most famous was was Phoenix over at Marvel, who was killed off in 1980. Mm -hmm. Um, And they didn't... I mean, they did bring her back a few years later, uh, but, I mean, that's a whole story in itself. And uh, (laughs) over on Earth 2, they'd they'd killed off uh, the Batman there, because it was like, Earth 2, we have a duplicate of Batman, why not kill him off and get a cool story out of that's it. That's interesting. I yeah. don't ever I don't remember what happens to the Batman in Earth 2. Uh do I do you remember around what time he was killed off? Uh it was around 78 79 something like that. Wow. Man, yeah. man, Batman is definitely the character you could kill off and no one will pay attention. That's a yeah. shame. Well, I mean it was it was the Earth 2 Batman, so it wasn't the yeah. real Batman. They had and they had a grown-up Robin who was like in his 30s or 40s. Mm. Uh, and they had his daughter, the Huntress, who he had with his daughter with Catwoman. Oh, and, right. and the Huntress will pop up in the series later on. Interesting. So Now, just to clarify for me, uh, Earth-1 is what we normally consider of consider as the main DC universe, yes. right? that's the home Earth, okay. basically. And we've been, in, in these books, we're seeing mostly Earth-1 and Earth-2. Yes. In, uh, in issue 3. Those are the years that had yeah. the most history with DC, basically. Right. I, I'm 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 slightly confused about where what what Earth we're looking at at any given time. You know, sometimes they do a good job of explaining in this book. They do a good job of explaining what where you are, which Earth, and which yeah. time period of which Earth. And sometimes they don't. Uh, in this case, for example, we are on I believe Earth two uh, in the World War two scenario where the losers get axed. Uh, I'm um, relatively yeah. certain we are on I th- Earth. I, I think so, because uh, Sergeant Rock does make reference to the All-Star Squadron. Yes, he does. Uh, and those, that would definitely be Earth 2. Which so, is yeah. a wonderful oh, reference. Okay. It's a fun thing, because, like, of course that the World War, the war comics are aware of the costume superheroes <laughs> and <laughs> have, like, uh, opinions about them. Like, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't your call. Or actually, I think eventually it's like, all right, this is more your thing. <laughs> well, I mean, they had a thing uh, in, they had... In the All-Star Squadron book, uh, Roy Thomas did a story where he explained that the all of DC's World War II heroes, they couldn't go and fight overseas because Hitler had the Spear of Destiny. And that was like oh, a thing that yes. kept them from entering occupied territory. So that was basically a device to just pace, basically keep the history of Earth II's World War II to be more or less like our Ours. World War II right, was, the right. real World War II. So it didn't immediately diverge into some... Alternate history, thing. right? Some Red Skull versus some mm. roided-out yeah. super soldier. Right. Why didn't Cap just punch Hitler? 
Yes. But he did. Uh, <laughs> so in uh, this part also gives us a little bit more of Blue Beetle um, and uh, was it G-Force and Polaris? Dr. Geoforce. Geoforce. Geoforce and Dr. Polaris, but Polaris have the funnest tag team ever. I don't think <laughs> yeah. it's intentional. When they Although, take out the shadow demon? Yeah. Uh, I think the first kill for our heroes. And Dr. Polaris, I believe, what is his line when he first makes an appearance? He's like... He's like, now you're talking my language? Yeah. There, there's definitely the kind of friendly camaraderie that I think tracks better than uh, Firestorm and... Um, and Killer, Killer Frost. Frost. Killer Frost. But uh, there's also, like, I think this is something like the, the magneto beams are aligned. <laughs> it's some, like, pure nonsense that I'm like, that's great. Yeah. He, he says, by the magnetic stream, Geoforce, that, the monitor sent us to World War II. Yes. So. That's it. And of course, Geoforce. It's a very supervillain sort of thing to say. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Geo, uh, Geoforce, of course, has history with that country that they are in. Which he, is, he's think, from yeah. Markovia. Yeah. Very cool. Um, but He's know, a prince, I think. He right? is. Yeah. Yes, but so this is the bow out. Is what feels like the final bow out of Blue Beetle, which I, as um, someone who was excited to see Blue Beetle reintroduced or introduced into the DCU, uh, I was shocked he had such a small role. Well, this is this was actually this is one of the the big continuity errors in the book. Is uh, he like the Blue Beetle? He gets burned by a shadow demon. And then the shadow demon immediately explodes, and he's like, "Oh, it's the uh, the scarab that I got from the original Blue Beetle," and that that made it blow up. Uh, but he, the Ted Cord Blue Beetle, never had the scarab. That was like kind of his whole deal was he had to work up gizmos and devices to make up for not having the superpowers that the first Blue Beetle did. So this was a, a real uh, this was a. A screw up. <laughs> That's really fun because yeah. it would be on a book that DC didn't really have control over at the time. And I, I can only guess that maybe just Marv Wolfman wasn't as familiar with the Blue Beetles. He was with some of the, the regular DC characters. Because he he hadn't he had read all of the DC stuff, but not necessarily the uh, stuff they had they had purchased. I think. Yeah, I mean, and who knows? I mean, this was the very first time DC was using the Blue Beetle, so they. They could have just hand waved it and said like, "Oh, he did have the scarab." But he had it. He just couldn't use it to. It was just on. Use power in case. Yeah, yeah. it but, was just you know he collected. It. He bought it at a tchotchke shop. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in in retrospect, it's just it's just a mistake. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we, and we we, you know, we flip around. We're we're back to Solivar and Commandy. Uh, um, interesting that they're trying to build a relationship there. I think it's cute. Commandy is a like a, a, a clo- I love that character. Yeah, yeah. but. Like he's down with the talking animals, so he bonded with Solivar. Yeah, yeah. it makes. I guess Solivar is the is the is the sore tooth in in my. Mind. I'm like, why him? <laughs> of all the talking apes you could have introduced, because so he's, many more... he's got that wonderful cape with the with a popped collar. That's right. We covered this. It doesn't feature in this. That's what's no. kill. Oh, is he using it? Oh my god, uh, he may be using it to bond it. Yeah, band, yeah, he's bandage. Uh, yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. All right, it all tracks. See? There's a reason. But he See, this the, is why they bonded. That's why Monitor picked he him. He literally gave him the cape off his back. He <laughs> gave him the cape off his back. That's why Monitor picked him, because he had uh, available bandages. <laughs> that is canon. No, Solivar, don't go. <laughs> Screw you, Superman. Shut up. <laughs> uh, I don't like you. So it's, we, we, we just went through this, but we got to do it again. There's another big universe that's our world that's coming up. This I think it's Earth One's past. This is uh, the Western that, stuff. The Western stuff. Yeah. That lash and a bunch of highly, highly controversial characters. This kind of lost me. There was oddly enough, I was good with most of the military stuff, but this kind of 
got weirdly wonky for me where I was like, what's going on? Yeah. Hmm. So we have Batlash. We have uh, Nighthawk. We have a yep. uh, guy with the face whose name escapes Scalp me. Scalp Hunter or Jonah Hex? It was, it was Jonah Hex who was Jonah thinking Hex. of Scalp yeah. Hunter, who's just not a good name. I didn't even know that was his oh. the character's name. Because I thought it was just a slur that Batlash was using. <laughs> that was, Scalp Hunter was the name of the feature. Um, oh, now, when they used the character again in the 90s and early 2000s in the Starman series, they they rightfully realized that was a slightly problematic name, so uh-huh. they started calling him by his real name, Brian Savage. Yeah, that so. much better choice. Yeah. Uh, oh, his name is not K-Wonote? <laughs> well, that's his Indian name. Oh, okay. So, the, and we got a couple of the, Brian the, Savage. the super-powered characters because complicated. no one's going to be reading the war comics without the superheroes are around, no one's going to read the western comics without the superheroes around, so Cyborg and Firebrand and uh, my favorite villain of all time. Simon. Uh, Simon. Uh, he is definitely not Simon and Green Lantern for some reason uh, John Stewart is not ex- uh, well we actually already established it there's uh, yeah. something going on in Oa uh, but yeah we it's an it's basically the same strokes as the first part of the story yeah but did you did you not love Simon even more with his first line in that <laughs> how droll how droll cowboys and Indians together oh, yeah. God. <laughs> which is in my mind how he talks now uh, it's, it's really Simon's good. a sassy bitch he yeah. is <laughs> Also extremely established. Uh, it's it's. I'm, I mean, you can't go around with like a glass yeah. thing on your head that lets you see your brain and be wearing a giant pink muumu and, yeah. and not rat tail and not be a sassy bitch. Rat tail. Yeah. Rat tail is essential to the character. I also like Cyborg's immediate dismissal of him. Shut up, Simon. <laughs> well, I mean, Simon was a Teen Titans villain, so oh, Cyborg okay. is already done with Simon's shit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Acceptable. Feels like Meg Griffin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Simon is very much the Meg Griffin of the Teen Titans world. <laughs> wow. Uh, all of this is definitely canonical. Uh, it's another world where we're seeing destroy. Like it feels like this issue more than any of the other issues feels like we're cleaning house mm-hmm. on uh, C- uh, DC properties. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Get rid of the war comics. Let's get rid of the western comics, at least to some extent. Or, or at least get rid of some of the goofier characters that we don't have as much use for going forward. I like think that was the basic. I'm surprised they didn't. He wasn't expressly... Uh, do away with the taun- the haunted tank. Um, <laughs> and I don't believe that... Uh, actually, I've got this issue of Amazing Heroes here. They've got... It lists all the casualties. I don't think the haunted tank is in there, but... No. no I don't think I will say. I don't think he... I, ironically, this Confederate general survives. <laughs> yeah. Crisis. You know what, people? If this makes you upset... Yeah, you sh- you have every right to be upset that the Confederate general survived Crisis on Infinite Earths in a tank. In a tank. Uh, we so yeah. We, we of course we, we're flipping over to the Legion of Superheroes, another world. At this point, stakes are so high. I'm like, oh man, people are dying, and I have no hope. And again, just gotta re harp on this Bronze Age thing. I don't know where I feel on this. If this were a Silver Age comic, I'd have, at this point, no matter what, I'd be like, they're going to figure it out. If this were a gritty, you know, late 90s comic, I'd be like, well, everybody's got pouches. Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) But at this point, I have no idea what's going to happen and what the fatalities are going to be for... um, for the Legion. I'll tell you, my uh, my reaction to the Legion here 
it, with my limited knowledge of the Legion of Superheroes, has it was immediately, oh, well, who cares? There's always more Legionnaires. <laughs> that is very true. That's true. We've, there, we've got like a couple dozen of them yep. at this point. <laughs> and honestly, the fact that Kid Psycho died, the first thing I thought mm-hmm. of was... There was a character named Kid Psycho? Kid Psycho is, by the way, he was a character who's so obscure, he, d- he didn't even get an entry in Who's Who. Oh, so, wow. Um, so I think this is the only story I've ever read with featuring Kid Psycho, this this one story where he dies. Probably wow. for the best. Yeah. yeah. Headcanon, for me, is he is the descendant of the Psycho Pirate. Uh, headcanon for yeah. me is I think he's he's a 30th century descendant of Tony Perkins. Oh, so interesting. Yeah, uh, Dream Girl also sense. gets this one beautiful panel mm-hmm. where she doesn't understand why her powers didn't do anything, and no one is explaining it. As much as people talk about red skies and red sky uh, tie-ins and how mm-hmm. you know bad that is, do, are you familiar uh, with red sky now? Yeah. So basically, it's it's at this time actually with this event, yeah. uh, the DC some of the tie-in books for DC Comics uh, were as simple as. A character remarking on how the skies are red, yeah, and then going on with the rest of the story. Like it was not an actual tie-in. None of the plot affected anything. But it would oh. still be marked as like a crisis crossover, exactly. More often Wolf. than not. So that that phrase, "red skies uh, uh, tie-in," is yeah. often used derogatorily to say, "Oh, this isn't." It, it means it means like a tie-in that doesn't really matter to the overall story, oh. right? Yeah. And you definitely see, and this is the main storyline, you see people referring to the Red Skies left and right, and as as big of a problem as that was at the time, my favorite thing are the things that happen in the storyline, which basically says, I understand that this one character might have been important right now, but they aren't. That's Dream Girl. <laughs> Dream Girl, like whoever was the fan of a Dream Girl, who was they knew they were going to write letters. Like Dream Girl, Dream Girl can see the future. Why did she know any of this was happening? Yeah, she gets a panel and a half saying, "I didn't see any of this was happening." Yeah, I wonder That's why. They're basically so, knew some. If we don't address this, some reader is going to write in. Yep. And I think, if I remember correctly, Dream Girl might have even been the leader of the Legion uh, at the time, because like the Legion, um, they had a thing where once a year the readership could vote on who the leader of the Legion should be for the next year's worth that, of storylines. That's pretty cool. And, and a bunch of readers who were like these huge Dream Girl fans, they stuffed the ballot box. And, no. and Wow. And uh, Paul Levitz, who was the writer of the Legion at the time, he had this character that he didn't particularly care for, who suddenly had to be the leader of the group. Oh, so he no. had to figure out, like, okay, how do I build up this character and make her seem, like, con- uh, competent? And, because she'd been played more or less as an airhead up until that. But yeah, suddenly, uh, so and that and and even after that happened, DC still thought one eight hundred kill your partner was a good idea. <laughs> That's a whole nother thing. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to open that can of worms. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that pretty much wraps up the story, except for the last page, which does deal with um, the big meta plot, and we see Harbinger um, again having a soliloquy about how she uh, must. Uh, do the thing that this unseen villain is trying to do uh, and kill the monitor. And that's where we close the book pretty dramatically. This, by the way, this is another one of of the more infamous mistakes in Crisis is because originally this was just a straightforward cliffhanger with Harbinger right behind the monitor ready to kill him. And it's pretty but, apparent that it is. There's there's talking over the panel, right. etc. But if you look at those three panels with the monitor in the center, 
they they all have uh, the curved corners, right? Which indicates that she's not there in the same room with the monitor. She's watching him on a screen, and they did this because the next issue. Marv Wolfman apparently completely forgot that this was the cliffhanger he ended issue three on. So when we get into issue four, we we basically back up and have the same cliffhanger again yep. in the next issue. And they fixed it just by uh, curving the panel borders. So I, know, I know about the curved panel and the fact yeah. that this is supposed to be her looking at him in the monitor, despite yeah. that the word bubbles don't quite justify no. that. No. Is, do we know canonically if this is in fact a fix for oh crap <laughs> it is they talked it, about it in interviews oh that's yeah. so beautiful George, George Perez noticed it because he was the one drawing the story and apparently uh-huh. you know Mar- Marv he's writing this and he's writing stuff for who's who he's still writing the, the Teen Titans he was probably stretched a little thin at this point so yeah. it just slipped his mind I I almost assumed that like they just that two events were going on at the same time in a weird way where like that was where she killed him. And then we backed up in the story. That's and fair. Then, like, yeah. then we got to it again in the, in the fourth issue. And I'll say this. That might have worked. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's a little bit more modern storytelling where like things can happen at any yeah. point during a time. But I, I think at this point in comics, people were like, no, this should pick up exactly where it was left yeah. off. I, mean, I, th- I think you know, you're, you're shifting around to so many different worlds and time periods to begin with. If you start skipping around in linear time as well, it would get really, yeah, really Yeah, it's pretty fair. Like, it was just, it was, I just remember that, like, and yeah. even now just be like, oh, they landed on that cliffhanger twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I but, think, to me, that it, it didn't work at all. The cliffhanger? The, cl- the, the, the fix. Oh. Because I did oh, not, no. for a second, get that she was watching him on a monitor. Well, it's, it's... I think it's just all they had time to do. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, it does not track. They, there, was, there was not really time for George Perez to redraw any of the panels. There was probably mm. not time for Marv Wolfman or one of the editors to script that scene over. Yeah. Um, so they did what they could. No, I, I understand that. I'm not sure that it was completely necessary, though, because I didn't really even have a problem. I didn't really with, track it as that, that big of a problem. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Hmm. Like okay, that's you've done that as a cliffhanger, and I think later on it does pick up, not the same place, but I think that means you're reading it similar to Al did, where it's like, well, we just backed up a little bit, and yeah, yeah, yeah. which I think is a totally fair, fine read. I, I mean, think it's a period uh, issue where like, yeah. at the time you would be a little confused if it didn't pick up immediately I think, after. I, I think it's important to remember that that so much of comics is really just flying by the seat of your pants. Oh, yeah. And sometimes you're, mm-hmm. you're throwing stuff at a wall and you see what sticks. And some, sometimes stuff works and sometimes it does not. Mm-hmm. And this was something where something got away from them and they tried to fix it as best they could. Well, let's talk about things that worked and what things that didn't as we uh, wrap up this one issue. Uh, any favorite parts that we want to talk about? I still like the Easy Company and uh, the Loser stuff. That's still, like, that's still where I really have... Like, that's where the meat and potatoes of the book, that issue were for me. That's Mm -hmm. where the tragedy was for me. Absolutely, absolutely. My favorite part is the thing something we didn't really talk about, uh, Brainiac. Brainiac witnesses uh, the negative energy leaking out and says, well, I'm supposed to stay alive no matter what. My prime directive is to stay alive, and I need to live in a universe to do that. (laughs) So let me save this universe. This is my favorite version of Brainiac, by the way. I love this design. It was an Ed Hannigan design, and they just revamped Brainiac like a couple years before this. 
And unfortunately, the uh, the Superman revamp came along like just a year or two after this. So this version of Brainiac did not last very long. But oh, he wow. was so cool. That's a yeah. shame because I remember him from like the old like TV show. Yeah, uh, like I, it was one. They of the used sh- him on Super Friends. They they made the Superpowers figure out yeah. of this design. Mm-hmm. That's such and a good design. It really yeah. is. It's a great design. But I think. I think they got rid of it because when they revamped Metallo, he was also like oh, a metal, metallic yeah. skeleton, uh, kind of like the course. Terminator. Mm. So they were probably like, oh, we don't really need two metallic skeletal looking guys yeah. to right. be Superman foes. But one sense. of them so. flies around in a spaceship that is his head. Yes, yeah. it's a giant it's a giant metal skull with tentacles. I mean, That's that literally is... literally all the things. How cool is that? Right? It does kind of make sense as a, uh, as a computerized being... Yeah, he wouldn't necessarily make the distinction between the craft and his body. No, I, he's he's merges like with it, and he thing. is he is one. Yeah. yeah, even the description of his fingertip controls yeah. interface. Yeah, so it makes computer. sense that they look the same. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any uh, you two? Anything? That's just you, unity of design. You have mm-hmm. any particular callouts? Are we uh, landing on the Brainiac page? Um, I, well, I love I love that Brainiac design. Uh, design. Um, I enjoyed seeing Batlash. I get a kick out of Batlash. He's basically just Maverick. Um, yes, yes. He's basically comic book Maverick, yeah. and he's he's just very fun. And I was familiar with Batlash already because he'd been featured in a uh, JLA JSA crossover. There's a, Which there's, they reference. They reference. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the Jonah Hex says, you know, oh, hey, that's the same thing that 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 guy was wearing that we met that one time. And I was like, I read that storyline, mm-hmm. and uh, so that was that was a little geek points for me. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, George Perez uh, gets to blow up Simon because he never liked uh, his design on Simon very much. Uh, he thought he looked more silly than frightening. Um, but that's what we love about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think, you know, the third issue, we're still very much in setup for the overall oh, series. Yeah. I mean, we're basically, it's still in the prologue here. It's mm. If you look at the, the, the whole series as like a three-act structure, we're, we are still solidly in the first act. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Pete. How about you? Any call outs? Uh, I was a I was a fan of the uh, the World War Two. Yeah, yeah. It was it, it definitely had more um, stakes than I expected at this I, point. I very much liked the like the uh, the way Geoforce interacted with his. You know, th- this was his homeland. <sighs> yes, and yeah. his his royal family's history. Yeah, it's like he had very high stakes there. Yeah, yeah, um, and the fact that like there was there was there was a compelling argument Blue Beetle failed to make of we don't have time to beat up Nazis, we have to save the universe. <laughs> hey, <laughs> but everybody really wanted to come beat on. Up that's Nazis. a that's a great always, line of dialogue. We don't always have time. time to beat up Nazis. Yeah. Um, you know, it just occurred to me that there was one other thing that's a little interesting bit of trivia about this issue is uh, early when we have the uh, the Titans and the Outsiders rescuing people uh, around the Empire State Building, uh, we have that, that character Cole, who's one of the Teen Titans, and she's got mm. the crystal powers. She was basically created because uh, some of the other creators at DC were a little upset with Marv Wolfman. They were like, well, you're, you know, we have to like kill off characters or you're killing off all these other characters you're not losing any of yours so marv basically created this character cole oh to to be killed off oh, oh man no. and this this was her first appearance because this is at the at this point the the titans were uh still doing that hardcover softcover thing where their storylines were a year ahead so she hadn't been introduced in the titans book yet oh man so this, this was a dark yeah. bit of force i was under the impression cole was a man nope 
Okay, then no, I'm just Cole, wrong. Cole is a young lady. Okay. Mm. She is a young lady. You maybe don't get a real good look at her in this. Well, actually, on page eight, I think you can see that she is a lady. Okay. Oh, hey, so. also, a little thing that we, we don't bring up often. Man numbering is great in comics at this yes, point. Yes, thank yeah. you. I love page numbers. Uh, and if you love... Why would you ever do a comic without page right? numbers? Why is that... Why? A- oh, God. It's so dumb. Yeah, speaking of done, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Dear Bit, please like, follow, and subscribe so you get the latest in the podcatcher of your choice. We're going to continue with Crisis on Infinite Earths over the next few e- weeks. Eeks? We're going to eke it out over the next few weeks. That's what I meant. Yep. Uh, please uh-huh. leave us a good review and call out every time I mispronounce something. It's going to be... I said dumb, not done. Yes. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.